Psalm 27. If you want to grab it. Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Verse 2, when evildoers assail, to eat up my flesh, my adversaries, and my foes. You see, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war rise against me, yet, yet I'll be confident. See, one thing, one thing I ask. One thing I ask of the Lord and that I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter. In the day of trouble, he will conceal me under the cover of his tent and he will lift me high, high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above the enemies around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and I will make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says of you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation, for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. And teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. But I believe, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So wait for the Lord, be strong, and take heart, and wait for the Lord. Father, I thank you. Lord, we can have confidence that in the midst of our trouble, in our anxieties, in our fear, Father, you are still our light. You are our rescuer. You are our salvation. Father, you are the stronghold of our lives. Of what, Father, should we be afraid? Lord, as we come to your word and as the spirit that indwells within us has inspired this word, Father, would you uh, make it alive to us today? to seek your presence, Lord, to know that you're with us. And Lord, from that, that you would teach us your ways and guide us in the paths of righteousness, not for us, but for your namesake, Father. Lord, may this be a time in which we dwell on holy ground because you've met us here. Father, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 27. One thing, one thing I ask, one thing I seek, 
that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. David is dealing with with a bad day. I don't know if you notice that, verses 2 through 3, he's dealing with an incredibly bad day. I, I know all of us have stress, but David has more stress. Unless you're a king uh, overseeing a kingdom with borders that are surrounded by enemies that are constantly invading. See, unless you have family dynamics where your son has raped your daughter and then sought your life and actually dethroned you for a period of time. See, unless you have that kind of stress of leading a nation, being a sovereign over your own state with family dynamics that are absolutely upside down. The stress that David encounters in this psalm, the stress he encounters in his life is overwhelming. And some of you may be coming today and you're carrying some of that stress. You know, the fears of life, the anxieties, challenges, missed opportunities, broken relationships, sadness, grief, all the things that we carry in our heart that we walk into with and and they don't suddenly vanish, right, when you cross through the thresholds, even though you may greet somebody who's kind and considerate and loving, we carry that stuff in. But how do we address that in the presence of the Lord? See, there's a problem that David is facing, and it's the anxiety and the fear in his own heart. And so jump in me, uh, with me in this text and, and look in verse 2. The way that he describes his situation is like a pack of wolves, that his enemies are not just against him, they're not just tweeting things on Twitter or posting things on Facebook. He describes them as a pack of wolves that are seeking to devour his flesh. And so he says to the Lord, when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, it is they who will stumble, it is they who will fall. Though an army be encamped around me, verse three, my heart shall not fear. The war arise against me yet. Notice he says, I will be confident. And yet, notice in verse 4, the one thing he asked for. You know, if I was David, I'd be like, God, wipe them out. You know, they're my enemies. They're a pack of wolves. They're unrighteous. Can you just, just wipe them off the face of the earth? But instead, he says, there's only one thing I really need. And the one thing I need in the midst of my anxiety is to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. My heart doesn't intuit that. Maybe you do, but that's not where I I go. Typically, in times of trouble, what I'm going to is, God, give me this day my daily bread. Take care of my needs. You know, watch over my life. I've got, you know, I get in prayer in those times of trouble, I can spend 30, 40 minutes just on me. God, this is the stuff I need you to fix. These are the people I need you to address. See, what David reveals is in his time of trouble, instead of spending 30 minutes on himself or spending 30 minutes on what he needs, he's spending 30 minutes gazing on the beauty of of the Lord. And according to this psalm, it doesn't look like he has that much time. He's already in a tent, and his enemies are surrounding him. That's not a place of security and safety. The last time I was in a tent, they weren't very thick. 
The walls are not impenetrable. But instead, he's saying in verse 6, hey, my head's going to be exalted. I'm okay because the presence of the Lord is with me. See, David is facing a problem in his life, and the question becomes, what is the solution? When it comes to the anxiety, when it comes to the fear and the danger that surrounds him, what is it that David seeks? And the last question we're going to ask is, you know, how can we get that in our own life? You know, when we come to the Word of God, what we do is we're coming to a mirror. In part, the Lord wants us to see ourselves, to see our reaction, to look at David's reaction and to say, hey, that's not me. That's not how I respond. When anxiety comes, when fear hits, when trouble strikes, how does your life look different than David's? And then in that moment of of self-reflection to say, Father, would you give me a clean heart? Would you allow my heart to reflect what you're revealing to me in this in your word. See, David's facing a problem, but he's also turning to a solution in verse 4. There's one thing he wants. And I love how he describes it. He says, what I want is to seek your face. Now, when we think of the presence of God, what we call that in what the Old Testament calls that was the face of God. Because when you met with somebody in a personal way, you had to meet them through their face. When, I, when somebody talks to you, it's odd if they're speaking to the back of your head. Because see, personality, person happens when we communicate face to face. And that's what David is saying to the Father. He's saying, God, I want to meet your face. I don't want to just meet your power. I want to meet your personal presence. Because he, he says that, I want to dwell in your house. Now, what does that mean? It doesn't mean he wants to do uh, 24-7 church. He's not saying, I want to become a a priest or a Levite. See, that was their role in the Old Testament. They would literally dwell in the house of the Lord. They would be in that tent of meeting. They would be in the tabernacle, the temple. They would be the ones that would enter into the presence of God. And on one day, uh, the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies to offer a sacrifice for the entire nation. You see, David is not literally saying, I want to dwell in the church or in a building. Because God says, even when the temple was built, that God's glory cannot be contained by the hands of men. And so when we think of the presence of God, and when David says, I want to seek your face, there's two ways that the presence of God is described in the Bible. The first is the omnipresence of God. That God is everywhere, always in his fullness. That we're sitting here today in Evergreen, Colorado, in Bergen Park Church, and God is in his fullness always and forever in this place, just as he is at the corners of the universe or to the ends of the earth. The omnipresence of God is always with us. That's not what David's praying for here. When the scripture says, hey, cast me not from his presence, your presence, it's not describing the omnipresence of God. Because God is always in his fullness in every place and in every way. See, instead, what he's describing is the second aspect of God's presence, which theologians call the manifest presence. The special presence. And in a face-to-face encounter, you may call it the personal presence presence of God. See, what David is asking for 
is an experience. He's asking for an encounter with God. Moses said something very similar. He said, Father, show me. God, show me your glory. Allow me to see the intimacy of your face. Show me the true reality of your character. Manifest your presence with me. See, that's what David's asking for because in the midst of trouble, anxiety, fear, He's saying there's really one thing we need. We need to know that God is with us. And more than that, we need to have a personal encounter with God in such a way that his presence overwhelms our troubles. Are you with me? We need not just to have an intellectual understanding that starts there. That's important. You've got to understand who you're connecting with. But more than that, David is saying, God, would you overwhelm me to the point that my fears, my anxieties, my physical challenges are not as great as your presence? And would you allow me to kind of live there for the rest of my life? Have you ever been there? When you're there, you just want to stay there. The challenge is remaining there. Because what David is describing is not a one-time experience. Though it was something he needed in a specific moment, he's describing a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle of seeking the presence of God. And then beyond that, anticipating that God is going to show up. And it, it really is an experience, an experience uh, because look at verse 8 and the way that uh, this language flows out. It says in verse 8, God is speaking, you know, you have said, seek my face. And then notice how David responds. He says, my heart says to you, I will seek your face. Your face, O Lord, I will seek. The invitation in verse 8 is to his heart. The heart is the center of the human being. It's the soul. It's the totality of who we are. That God is making a personal invitation to David to say, David, come into my presence. I want to meet you face to face. And David responds with a prayer, praying in God's will, I want to seek that for which you have sought me. I want to seek your face. And then notice when that happens, when the presence of God comes, in verses 5 and 6 and following, what he describes is the overwhelming reality that when God's presence fills his heart and his mind and his soul, the results that flow out of that are amazing. Notice this, for he will hide me in his shelter. In the day of trouble. Now, I love the honesty of Scripture. It's not Pollyanna. It's not good times or come and just have enough faith. Rather, the Bible says over and over, the day of trouble is coming. The day of trouble is coming. The promise of Scripture is not that God's presence keeps us from trouble. The promise is that God will dwell with us in the midst of that trouble. And when he does, he will be our protector, which means, Jason, you need to stop trying to be. Are you with me on that? Because see, when my trouble comes, I've got all these ideas, I've got these resources, I think I know how life should go. I've got desires, hopes. What David is saying is, I'm not my protector. I'm not my shield. I'm not my strong tower. God, I'm going to run to you And in your presence on the day of trouble, you're going to cover me with your presence. 
which means that the problems I'm facing are not greater than you. And then notice again in in, uh, verse 5, it says, And he will conceal me under the cover of his tent, and he will lift me high upon a rock. And again, the tent in the Old Testament was this tent of meeting that would travel around in the wilderness. And see, the nation of Israel knew that when God uh, showed up, when uh, Moses was meeting with the presence of God, this cloud would descend. And it would say to the rest of the nation, hey, stay away, I'm meeting with Moses. You see, to enter into the presence of a holy God is life-threatening. Moses was dwelling with God in that tent. And it's not that David's saying, hey, I want to go back in time. I want to experience you in the tent. What he's saying is, I want to experience the kind of presence that showed up when you descended on the tent of meeting. When Moses met with you face to face, God, that's what I'm asking for. Because, see, when I'm there, what I feel like is I'm on top of, top of Bergen Peak. I'm high upon a rock. My troubles are now down in the valley below. I can see what's taking place. And see, my situation hasn't changed, but the countenance of my heart, the confidence of my faith is growing. Not because things have changed, but because I see you clearly. And so the psalmist is constantly saying, you're my rock. Hide me in the cleft. Protect me. You're my defender. And then notice as he concludes in verse 6, And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. See, when you're defeated, your head's down. Your posture is low. What happens when your head comes up? When your head is up and what the psalmist is saying, and I think what God is saying to David is, get your head up. I'm with you. Stop trusting in yourself. Stop trusting in what you see. Stop trusting in your resources. If I've shown up, this is not pride. This is not David's confidence in David. This is get your head up because, see, when God shows up, he vanquishes our enemies. Now, listen, your enemies are not your neighbors. They're not flesh and blood. I think in some ways you could describe three enemies that we have. One is a philosophy. It's called the world. It basically says that this world is all there is, get what you can, and chase after what's here. The second is yourself, the flesh. No one has betrayed me like me. No one has set me up for failure more than me. The world, the flesh, and then finally the devil. Demonic powers, the lies of the evil one. And see, in his presence, those things flee. Because see, in the face of God, when you see something majestic and beautiful and its weight begins to descend on the heart, everything has to flee. We cast our cares on him. Why? Because the weight of the fact that he cares for me rests on my soul. Why do we love? We love because the weight of his love has fallen on us. We love because he first loved us. And see, what David is describing is the reason his enemies flee is because because God is present. And my situation may not have changed, but my countenance has. My courage has. And because of that, my ability to react has changed. And about you, I love to meditate on things that make me afraid. (laughs) I know, it's it's so dumb, isn't it? Every single week, I know what's going to happen on Sunday. 
I got to stand up there. What if I have nothing to say? And you know, more than that, what if nobody shows up? Isn't that dumb? But I'll tell you, I think about it. I sit, I go to bed on Saturday night. Often I don't go where David goes. Lord, can I just tonight gaze on your beauty? Lord, could I just see you for who you are? May I rest not in your omnipresence, but in your personal manifest presence. And may I seek your face. As soon as you pray that, it makes all that fear look foolish. Not because there isn't a reality of Sunday morning coming, but I know I'm not standing up alone in my own strength. I'm walking in the strength of the Lord. See, the solution that David looks for is not, God, hey, vanquish my enemies, give me everything I need, change me in a sense of change what's going on. He's saying, Lord, be with me, because if you are with me, I know I'm okay. See, what David's asking for is an experience. And I don't know about you, but I've found uh, most of my life, I've been the cerebral analytical guy. Really, really good in math. Really, really bad in reading. God's joke on me was going to put me in a profession where I had to read. (laughs) And I had to speak and read in front of others. But see, with that, I I tend to go towards the information. I want to know God. I want to systematically tear God apart. I want to argue God. I want to uh, teach theology. I I like the intellect. That's not where David's going. David is saying, God, I want to experience you. I want to feel you. I want to dwell with you. See, there's a fullness to the Christian life. Jesus came to adopt us as his children, but he wasn't the only one that was sent. The Holy Spirit was sent so we can live as the children of God, so that we may know the love of what it means to be adopted. We need both sides. You with me? The music in the beginning is not just the segue into the message. No, the music is the heart of why we gather. We gather to gather in the presence of God and to celebrate his goodness. You know, how do we get this? How do we get this, what David is after? Have we ever prayed like that? What I love about David is, if you notice, and we can't get into it in in its entirety, but in verses 7 and 12, he's really frustrated. Because, see, this isn't something you can control. You can ask for it, but it's not going to show up every day. And, And maybe that's part of our struggle, as we expect it to. Hey, God, I I asked, I'm gazing, I'm waiting, hello, nothing happens. And so what do we do? The opposite of verse 14. What's verse 14? Wait, 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 be strong, take heart, wait for the Lord. Often what happens is, see, in our in our missing God, in the absence of God's presence, in the absence of that experience, we just give up on the experience. That's not where David goes. Notice in verses 7 and following, he's crying out, hear, hear, Lord, my voice. Cast not your presence from me. Lord, if you're not going to show up today, I'm, I'm going to continue to seek you. I'm going to seek you. I'm going to seek you. You know what Paul's prayer was? 
I mean, Paul had some radical experiences of the presence of God. Dead men raising to life. Entire cities transformed by the power of the gospel message, and yet here's his prayer, I want to know Christ. I'm like, come on, Paul, you're so selfish. Haven't you already known Christ? Haven't you had enough of his power? Haven't you had enough experiencing his presence? He says, no, I want to know the power of his fellowship, the resurrection, his fellowship, so that I might obtain the resurrection from the dead. I haven't had enough. Do we pray like that? And especially in times of trouble, will we continue to seek God in such a way that we say, Father, I want to see your beauty. And and listen on this. Something's beautiful because it's beautiful in itself. When you gaze on a sunset, you gaze on the mountains, it's beautiful because that it's, it's, it's its essence, right? You enjoy it because it's beautiful, not because it, you can get something else from it, but because of what it is. See, David's not going to God and gazing upon him because he thinks by doing that, God's going to solve all his problems. He's gazing on God because David has learned to find God beautiful, And how about you? We moved up here because it's beautiful, right? You done gazing? You had enough, ready to go, go back down the hill, flat land, back to Texas and dead and brown trees? I've only been here 10 months. I'm not done gazing. I haven't even started gazing. How much more beautiful is the person of God? David is gazing, saying, Lord, I'm not giving up. See, first thing I think we have to understand if we're going to seek this is we have to know what it is that David is asking for a personal encounter with the living God. Now, how do we get this? See, if we want this, how do we get this? On the one hand, I think you've got to persevere, and that's what he's saying in verses 7 and following. Do not give up. Persevere. It's not always going to come the same way. Not every morning is going to be Shekinah glory, presence of God, angels singing. But he says you've got to persevere and wait. But more than that, there's got to be a sense in your own life, a pursuit of personal holiness. God doesn't show up just to show up. He shows up to those who desire him. And if you desire God, it means in your heart of hearts, you want to be like God. You want to follow him. And that was Jesus' really invitation. Come, follow me. Watch what I do, follow me, pursue me, put me first. And, and likewise, when he says, one thing I ask the Lord, that will I seek to inquire in the temple. To inquire is to ask, it's to get prophecy, to get truth. Lord, guide me in your truth, guide me in the way I should go. He says it again in verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. What David wants is a heart that results in a life of obedience and holiness. Psalm 51. Psalm 51 verse 10 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Now why? Why does he want a clean heart? Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. I want a clean life so that I might experience the fullness of God. Because see, what David realizes, what the psalmist realizes, is God is better. 
I hope you've realized that. God is better than, you fill in the the blank, God is better than pornography. It is not beautiful. It is soul-destroying. God is better than the approval of others, the acceptance of others. What is it in your life that God needs to be better than? See, when the presence of God comes, that's what begins to change, is the heart begins to taste and see. Not just know and see, but taste. And when you taste, you're experiencing. It's one thing to understand something tastes good. It's another to receive it and bring it in, and it provides nourishment for life. The first thing he's saying we've got to have is a, a passion to follow, to be obedient. I love this, Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Paul says, repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. Now, why? Why should we repent? Which means to identify the sin in our life, to turn in direction towards the Lord. Why do we do that? Acts 13, 9, verse 20 says that times of refreshing may come. And notice where they come from. From the presence of the Lord. That's not his omnipresence. That is his manifest presence. The reason we turn from sin is in turning to sin, we turn to God and allows his presence to come. The first thing we need is a life, a heart that says, Lord, I want to be obedient. I want to open my life to you. Would you search me and know me, know my heart, and lead me in a path of everlasting? Father, would you teach me? Is that where we are? If not, then... Hey, God may manifest his presence. It's not going to last because we're not walking. We're not walking in it. And then second, the second thing that I think we need in the midst of this that he describes is is worship. There needs to be some joy on our face. Not just in our mind, but if you notice in verse 6, he says, I will offer in his tent sacrifices with what? Shouts. Of joy. When somebody shouts here, we're like, hey, buddy, come on, keep it down. David was not afraid. Now, David did a lot of things in God's presence I, I wouldn't necessarily recommend, if you know what I mean. Somebody need to read the Bible a little, right? David got naked, so excited, just had his ephod, whatever that is that he was, he was in the joy of the Lord. How often are we stirring in our hearts fervent worship for God? We do it for the Broncos. Why do they have all the fireworks in the beginning? You know, coming down the tunnel, what is that? It's not intellect, it's emotion. And I know one of the arguments that I often hear is, don't manipulate my emotions. Hey, if they're for the Lord, they should be manipulated. Because as far as I know, God created your emotions. You with me? Now, if it's manipulated in a way that's not directing you towards the Lord, that's not okay. But if your emotions are being directed towards God with joy, with excitement, with radiance, with a desire to experience him and know him, to understand who he is, that is a good thing. Because we are more than just intellect. The only passage isn't be transformed through the renewing of your mind, which is important. 
but we are also soul and emotion, and there are times where we need to fervently worship the Lord even when we don't feel or think we need it. Because God indwells the praises of his people. Are you with me? There are times where we need to come in here with anticipation even if we don't feel it. Because when we do that, we get our emotions up so that our mind might engage with the truth of God's word. Because God has created us to be more than just intellectual. And understand, all of us redline at different places. Understand that? It doesn't look the same. And so don't look at someone and say, oh, hey, they're worshiping and that guy's not. That's not what I'm describing because all of us have a different level and a different volume and a different place. But if we haven't pushed ourselves beyond our flat line, then maybe we need to begin to engage God in ways that move us. Are you with me? Scripture says, raise up holy hands. If you've never done that, you may try it. Not to suggest that somehow that's greater than laying down prostrate before the Lord. There's different expressions of worship, but we have to come in with anticipation and fervent joy, even if it's not what we're experiencing in the moment. Sometimes our heart has to lead so our mind can go. Are you with me? We've got to enter passionately. And so the psalmist is constantly telling us, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. And so there's a pursuit of holiness. Second, there is a passionate pursuit and worship of God. But finally, and this will help those that want to engage the mind, there needs to be meditation. The psalm opens with, Blessed is the man, blessed is the woman who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers but our delight is in the law of the Lord. In the midst of David's trouble, notice in verse one, what does he meditate on? I'm not in darkness. Notice verse one, you are my light. Man, my heart right now, God is dark. I can't see. I don't know the next step to take. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what's going on, but Lord, you are my light. And then what does he say? My salvation. You can rescue me. You're the stronghold of my life, Father. I'm not going to be afraid. And then verse 14, wait for the Lord, right? Hey, if it's not coming, be patient. Wait for the Lord. And then notice what he says. Be strong. Take heart. You know your Old Testament, that is a phrase that's been repeated from God to Moses, Moses to Joshua, Joshua to Israel. Take heart. Be of courage. God is with you. What's David doing? Listen, to get that experience of his presence, he's meditating on who God is. He's reminding himself of everything that God has done. God, I've got confidence because I've seen you at work. And that's why the earliest creed that we have is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And with this, I close. The first thing that we have is this little statement, reminder, almost a song, as if you might say, of what we need to hide in our hearts in the day of trouble. And, and Paul wrote it this way. I deliver to you what is of first importance, that what I also received, that Christ died for our sins 
in accordance with the scripture. He was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture, and that he appeared to Cephas, to the twelve, and then after that he appeared to more than 500 brothers. It's written some 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus as a creedal statement to hide into the heart. Say one thing, there's one thing I need to remember. Christ died for my sins. Whatever's happening to me right now is not out of God's punishment. It may be his discipline, but God loves me. He died for my sins. And then listen, he rose from the dead. There is a power in God that overcomes sin and can overcome the challenges in my life, but I need to walk in the truth of that. I need to be reminded of who he is and then to live out in a passionate obedience to follow after Christ. Hey, this morning, would God be our vision? Not the vision of a preferred future, but would he be our vision? You guys want to come up? I want to pray for us. Father, I thank you that you challenge us to gaze. You challenge us not just to study, which is so vital, and not just to meditate, which is important. But once we have, once we've spent time in your presence and in your word, to allow our emotions and our affections to be stirred and to gaze on that which is beautiful, which is your presence, Lord, in the midst of our trouble. And I pray, Father, I know there's so many that to this, this could seem like a false hope. I don't want to get my hopes up. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to trust that that is true, that you could meet me, Lord, in the midst of my anxiety and fear. But Father, would you, through the power of the Spirit, usher us into a better word, a better presence. Through the power of the Spirit, you remind us we're the children of God, not because we've done things right, but, but we've put our faith in Jesus and now covered with the righteousness of Christ, we're secure and sealed with the Holy Spirit that we're already yours. We belong to you and we're secure within Christ. Now, Father, through the power of the Spirit, which you begin to open our eyes to see you for who you are, to walk with you in a way in this world that we find you beautiful first and we seek first your kingdom and then we trust that you're gonna take care of the rest. Father, today be our vision so that we can walk with you in this world that others may know the joy of seeing your beauty. Thank you, Father. Would we stand in response and worship? It's a beautiful old hymn. This is one of my grandmother's favorites. Be thou my vision. I'm dedicating this to Colleen Skewscox, my best friend just lost his mom tragically, kind of, she just fell asleep and didn't wake up. So they're playing this at her service.
one thing, Father, we ask this week. May one thing we seek. Teach us to dwell in the house of the Lord. Father, to teach us in the day of trouble to seek, to gaze upon your glory. And Lord, teach us. Guide us in straight paths and paths of obedience for your glory and your namesake. May the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, may the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit go with us today and this week and forevermore. Amen. Have a great week.